Hey guys, it's Adam Hawkins here, and you're listening to Culture Matters, but not just Culture Matters, because it's a special crossover episode. We're joined by Drew Fitzgerald. He is host of the much better, much more interesting podcast known as Christianese. And so, Drew, welcome. Thank you for joining us. That is very kind of you to say. Thank you. Happy to be here. I say that about every other guest that has a podcast. Anybody who's on that has a podcast, I say that because I want to be seen as humble. And there's no better time of the year Mm. to project false humility than Christmas. So today's episode... (laughs) Yeah, real question then. If you say that to everyone with the podcast, have you heard Christianese before? Do you you just saying that i actually have listened to christian okay i'm Um, I'm just messing with now i know we've talked about this before come on dude yeah um today's episode is going to be a little different if you can't guess because it is christmas it's a special christmas episode Mm. we want to have fun and we want to bless you so let's do it Welcome to Culture Matters Christmas Trivia 2023, round one. Question, what Christmas beverage is also known as milk punch? Ding! To Marcus. Eggnog. Correct. (laughs) Question two. Dude, that that was amazing. What Christmas-themed ballet premiered in St. Petersburg, Russia in... I don't know. I'm. I don't know if there's a delay. I said ding. I feel like I said it first. Sorry. Ding. Adam. The Nutcracker. Correct. <laughs> Lucky guess. I, I, I want. I want it to be known that I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the conductor? Question three. Tchaikovsky. Oh, good. It. In Home Alone, where are the McAllisters going on vacation? Ding. They- Kevin. To Marcus. Paris. Correct. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to be eliminated. Question four. <laughs> did, he, did he get the questions beforehand? <laughs> Question four. Which fairy tale was the first gingerbread houses inspired by? Ding. Oh. Drew. Drew, if you get this. Hansel and Gretel. Correct. Oh, what? my gosh. Nice. If you can see, you guys, it's been fun. Yeah. Have a good one. <laughs> wow. Question five. Liz, we're looking to you on this one. (laughs) Who wrote, Christmas doesn't come from a store? Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Ooh. Ding. Ding. Adam? Uh, Dr. Seuss? Correct. (laughs) Dr. Dre. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do remember that one. Yep. Okay. Question number six. What was Frosty the Snowman's nose made out of? Ding. To Marcus. A cherry. Incorrect. You'll never fit in. <laughs> Ding. Adam. A button nose? Correct. <laughs> oh. uh, we sure? Pretty sure? I'm not sure. I'm like we a carrot. I just right. sing carrot. carrot. Why don't you just sing the song? <laughs> I, that's what I had to do. Okay. Question number seven. <laughs> Which one of Santa's reindeer has the same name as another holiday mascot? Uh, ding. Oh, Cupid. Correct. Yes. yes. Question number eight. In Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, what was the first name of Scrooge? Oh. Uh, ding. To Marcus. 
Ebenezer. Yes. Correct. <laughs> All right. Our score for round one is Ty with three, Adam with three, Elizabeth with, ooh, a no. big goosey. <laughs> You're what the French call les incompetents. And Drew with two. <laughs> so wow, okay, unfortunately, Elizabeth is eliminated from round two. Oh, no. Moving on to round two. Question one. What did the other reindeer not let Rudolph do because of his shiny red ding? ding. Oh, you got it. Nose. Join in any reindeer games. <laughs> to Marcus, you are correct. <laughs> Question number two. What was the first company that used Santa Claus in advertising? Ding. Drew. Oh, man. I'm going to guess. Coca-Cola. Correct. <laughs> nice. I guess it was Sears. One for tomorrow. I, okay. I was thinking One like Macy's or something old like that. Yeah. Question number three. On one of the Christmas episodes of the TV show Friends, in order to oh. teach his son about Jewish traditions, Ross dresses up as what animal? I, I have not seen any Christmas episodes of Friends. So Me neither. I'm out of this one. Uh, I'm going to guess. Ding. A, guess, ra- a reindeer? Um, You'll never fit in. Incorrect. Okay. Demarcus, would you like to guess? Um, could you repeat the question? <laughs> On one of the Christmas episodes of the TV show Friends, you know this? in order to teach his son about Jewish traditions, Ross dresses up as what animal? Ding. Demarcus. You don't know. A lamb? You'll never fit in. Incorrect. Would you like a hint? Yeah. This animal <laughs> is small and can roll into a ball. Ding. A hedgehog. Incorrect. Ding. To Marcus. Armadillo. Correct. Hey. <laughs> I, ne- I never would have guessed that. Never. An armadillo? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird, but great. They're in the Bible. They are. Yeah. <laughs> In the great state of Texas. Question number four. In the song, Last Christmas, who does the singer give their heart to? You. You? Someone special. (laughs) Tamarcus is correct. Dad. Oh. Tamarcus is taking the lead. Because last Christmas I gave you my (laughs) My heart. heart. Yeah, you broke it. But you gave it away. Yeah. This year. year, I'll give it to you. To save me from tears. Yeah. Mm. That's good. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. Last question of round two. According to the song, what did my true love give to me on the eighth day of Christmas? Ding. <sighs> Maid's milking? Correct. Ooh. <laughs> as many Christmases as I've seen, I can never remember all of those 12. No. Adam, unfortunately, has been eliminated from proceeding on Aww, to round welcome. three. Welcome to the loser's the French call. Ty is really killing this. He is. Drew, you're doing great too. I'm just saying. It's okay. I I get it. Yeah, he's doing doing really well. For all the Christmas cookies. Mm. Round three. Final round. Question one. Which Christmas song contains the lyric, everyone dancing merrily in the new old-fashioned way? Easy. Ding. Drew. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Correct. Question number two. <laughs> Where are you? Don't fall asleep now. Where are you? <laughs> Which country started the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree? 
ding Drew. Germany. Correct. That's not fair. He has an advantage. Why? I I I, I do have an advantage on that one, but why do you, you have an advantage? Are you German? Dude? Well, no, it comes up in this and what we're going to talk about later in this episode. Mm. Uh, I talk about it in the podcast. So stay tuned. If you think about tapping out, don't. Question number three. To Marcus, you have to get one of these to stay in the game. Okay. Okay. Which Christmas carol is the following line from? Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Come ding. on. Drew. Oh. I know it. A ding. <laughs> Drew. Joy to the world. Correct. That's pretty much it, right? Drew wins, but we'll do the last question. There's too much pressure. Drew wins, but we'll do the last question. I was going through the song the in my head so yes. fast. Like, Me too. I was like, I know all the words, words, but what's the name? Question number four. Mm, for funsies. Okay. Anyone can answer this one. It's for fun. <clears throat> How many ghosts show up in a Christmas carol? That's a great question. Ding. To Marcus. Three. You'll never fit in. Four. What was I the guess. alternative version Four of Four is the correct uh, answer. Because I, I guess Marley counts as one. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't count. That's a tricky question. <laughs> that is a trick that is question. A tricky question. <laughs> Thank you for participating in the Culture Matters Christmas Game Show 2023. Stay tuned for Game Show 2024 next year. Well... I'll kick us off with some questions to, you know, let the listeners know how you like to bring in the season of Advent, you know? Yes. But first, something light. Uh, what is one gift you're most proud of giving? Not receiving. Not receiving. Okay. Something that you gave <laughs> to someone else and you were like, man, you know what? That was that was thoughtful. Like, I, I pegged it. They were excited. Good gift giving. Ooh. Mm, let it marinate. <clears throat> Assuming we have bought gifts for others and have not. Well, why don't you start, I'm man? Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, one of the gifts that I am most proud of giving, uh, it's actually this year. So my son is uh, obsessed. I have a, a necklace that a friend gave me when I was in college, and he always wants to wear it. And he also has been very adamant about having a cross on, on his necklace, and he's asked about it all year. And... Probably gonna get him one of those. Um, I'm trying that's to sweet. trying to pick out one that's like the right size. Some of you know you gotta get the size and fit right without him being there. But I'm I'm super excited for him to to open that, and not only just for him to have it, but to be able to um, have conversations around it. So, um, yeah, that's a great gift. That's a really great gift. What about you, Liz? I am not the best gift giver. Um, because my love language isn't gifts. Mm. So like I'll give experience. You give what you enjoy receiving. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I don't know if there are boundaries to this question. It's just this year or forever. But I remember uh, one year I treated my mom as she came to Dallas and we went to go see Phantom of the Opera. Mm. And mm. it just was beautiful, beautiful production. She loved it. My mother is a musician. She loves all music, all things. And so she still talks about it. It was a really great time. That is a good gift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. What about you, Drew? 
Um, one that's standing out in my head was when I was a broke college student, I found a picture of my grandparents, like one, one of the first dates they went on when they were in college. And it was this mm. small picture, like two by four inches, super small. And I, uh, used my meager Photoshop skills and got it blown up and kind of added some clarity to the picture and got it framed for them and gave it to them. And they were, I, I just thought it was like, oh man, you know, I can't buy anything really nice, but this seems sort of sweet. And they were really moved by it. It's still hanging up in their house. Mm. And I think it meant a lot to them. And so that's one that stands out that uh, I would be proud of having given. I love that. Yeah, that's that wonderful. Really it's not always about the price. Nope. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a good, that made me think. I had one in mind, but um, my grandmother, my mom's mom, who we were really close to my whole family was she passed away a couple of years ago and on the on the year anniversary of her death which happened to be close to christmas um i was one of the grandchildren there was like 30 of us or more i was the one chosen to participate in the funerals part of the eulogy but i i ended up not i there was a lot of moving parts and so um i had written a eulogy um and and hadn't actually been able to do that at the funeral and it was all good it was nothing bad but i hadn't shared it with my mom yet and so i wrote i rewrote it and 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 gave that to my mom and i it was just a, a meaningful thing it had mm -hmm. memories of my grandma and so for her her first Christmas without her mom, it was a it was a meaningful thing. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. I love mm -hmm. I love the mix of yeah. Th you can things that are bought, things that are, there's a way to give special gifts. Like I said, it's not always about the price or how much it costs yeah. or yeah. it being an item, but yeah, just that that thoughtfulness behind it. Um, on another note, thinking about Christmas because I don't know about y'all, but I I just thoroughly enjoy like all of the liturgy around the season. Both mm -hmm. those that are just kind of like light, you know, hanging lights and decorating mm -hmm. a tree to those that are uh, more, uh, you know, essential to our faith. But, you know, out of curiosity, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions or things that you do to um, bring in the season of Advent? Uh, I'll go first again, if mm -hmm. that helps. Mm -hmm. uh, so a couple things. One, I love, I'll give two. Um, one, I love loading up the car with the family and you know my nieces and nephews and we'll drive around and look at christmas lights mm -hmm. and drink hot chocolate and listen to the christmas songs like that's just that was something that i grew up doing with my family and it's cool getting to do that mm -hmm. um with my kids and wife as well and then secondly something that you know continues to stir my affections towards you know what the season is about uh there's a book an old old book um, by uh, a guy named Athanasius called On the Incarnation. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of made it a, you know, yearly practice of around this time, I'll make my way through it um, again. And it's just it's just such a reminder of the, the importance and the significance and the implications of the second person of the Trinity being born and becoming a man and what all that means for us. And so. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. How about you, Drew? Um, a lot of my traditions are with my family back in Arkansas. So I'm not married. I live on my own. So some of my personal traditions may just be weird habits I have. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just me and my dog at home. Uh, but I would say one of the really fun ones is after the Friday after Thanksgiving. So day after Thanksgiving, we put up a tree in my mom's house and we decorate it. 
And that's always a really fun thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, and then uh, the night before Christmas, uh, my mom always gives my siblings and I like Christmas pajamas. And she's kept doing that even though we are all very grown now. She still does it. Uh, and it's still kind of a fun, sweet tradition that we mm. have. Awesome. It. We uh, eat the same thing for dinner every year. Mm. Uh, and like food is just really big in my family and just all the connections and history and all the things. But there was one year my mom, she was like, yeah, I'm going to think about, you know, cooking something different. And I got off the phone. I'm, it's just me and my sister. And I called my sister. I was like, look, mom is trying to change the menu. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to like work this out. And so she, my, we, my sister called my mom and she was like, we're like, you can add things. <laughs> But you can't take away. So now it's like this running joke. My mother's like, y'all won't let me be great. But <laughs> it is just, it's just such good memories of just all the the food items that mm. she got she passed down, she got from her mother. And yes. just, it's just, it's wonderful goodness. Mm-hmm. What's on the menu? Uh, macaroni and cheese, Come on. greens, ham. It's a dish just called sweet potato pudding. It's like the consistency of sweet potato pie mm. filling. Mm-hmm. Um, it is wonderful. Uh, my mother makes this like... Uh, it's a it's not fruit salad. Like when I say fruit salad, I feel like people are like, Ooh. yeah, sure. Um, but it just is like it has uh cool whip in it. It's really good. Yeah, like it's mm. really good. Mm. Um, and so it's all those things, and then dessert, and yeah, usually ham. Yeah, I love it. That's amazing. I love that there's a there's like a taste of Christmas mm-hmm. in oh, your mm-hmm. family. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. My um, my wife is just amazing and she started a newer tradition for us Mm. um when my kids were young uh in fact she's probably been doing it before we had kids but she started an advent party so the first weekend of advent advent i think it's the first day of advent yeah um we have a party and part of the party is that our kids read this liturgy and so our kids are a part of it. We're a part of it. And she includes everybody in it. And it's just this really. And then this past year, we like played fun games with them and did goofy stuff. But it's turned into this thing that's just it's it it kind of starts the season for us. Yeah. And it and it reminds me that we're in this really special time. So, mm. yeah, that's wonderful. That. It's great. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, one more for us and then we will uh, pass the ball over to Drew. Uh, when you think of some of the implications of the incarnation of Christ, right? So we we all know, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. 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 Keep him, um, in. Keep him in there. Keep him in Christmas. And then, you know, as you as you think about that, I know as I said earlier, I often um, part of my engaging with the the season of Advent is is reading uh, about such event. But are there are there any specific uh, applications or implications of uh, the incarnation, when you think about this time of Advent and or maybe you're singing the songs um, uh, at church that particularly stand out to you? I don't remember who said it. Um, some theologian, really smart person, but Advent starts in the dark. Mm. And to remember that uh, for the first coming of Christ, the Lord is coming to a people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting in the season of life that's just really difficult amongst just being in a sin-infected world. Mm. And so, you know, alongside all of the celebration and all the joy and all the cheer for the Christmas season, I try to remember 
man, what the Lord entered into uh, and that like to be in awe that he chose to do that, that he chose to come to a place that was hard and broken to save a people who were unfaithful to him mm. and how much that communicates about his humility and his love. But just, yeah, just to remember what it meant for the people at the first advent. Um, and he was coming into a season that was just really difficult and he brought this light that would change the entire world. But also some of the things, uh, I had a conversation also uh, with someone about the book of Revelation and talking about some of the the story of Christmas that pops up in there and just how it's this cosmic war. That what happens and is so joyful and some and, and kind of this, what we read, whether it's in Luke or, or Matthew, that there's something really big happening behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and also kind of what the Lord is doing on us on a kind of a cosmic level with all the forces that are seeking to push back against what he's doing, uh, it's usually significant. So those are some thoughts about the incarnation. A little jumble. It's beautiful. Advent begins in the dark. Mm -hmm. Mm. We, um, I think for me, the reality that God is with us Mm. and that he chose to be with us. Um, there's a million things, right, that, that are just so wonderful. But I don't know my, my own personal walk, and I found this to be true for so many Christians. But that just the idea that God actually loves me is really hard for me to believe a lot of times, um, because of my own sin, because of my own weaknesses and shortcomings, because of my story, because of how forgetful I am, all the things, right? But looking at the first advent, um, that God chose to humble Himself to be with His people. Uh, that, that's just, for me, that's that place of undeniable proof I can point to mm. and say, God loves me. So, yeah. yeah. And I'll God pi- loves us. Yeah, I'll piggyback because that, that's also mine. Um, I My first tattoo that I have on my arm is Emmanuel in Hebrew. Um, and it's, yeah, the, for the almost the exact same reason of just that every, every, most other world religions and philosophies all have some concept of how we can uh, work our way, gain approval, appease God in some way to like reach him to right. transcend. And the, I, I know enough about myself to know that I have no ability to do that. And so the, the truth that um, the God that we serve in the, in the Bible uh, was one who came down to us is just, yeah, it's, a, it's just amazing. And it's, you, you can't exhaust um, trying to, trying to fathom that. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like he like skipped the stage of like, oh, he just came as like some like, you know, uh, you know, superhero or something. It's like, no, like he was he was born in under pre- to your point, like in the like it was literally pressure around him, not just from a, a spiritual sense, but like quite literally like the king was trying to kill him before he even, mm. you know, was born. And so it's just, yeah, you think about his his birth was a miracle in so many different ways. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful story. I don't know what I can add to what the three of you just said. <laughs> y'all, y'all have said it all so eloquently. I think, um, you know, while y'all were talking, Hebrews four came into my head that we're because Jesus was human like us, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Mm, that yeah. Psalm eight says, "Who am I that God would notice me?" And God noticed us and loved us to the extent that He became human like one of us, but born in lonely, uh, lowly situation. I think the big thing, the big implication of the incarnation is that 
God is trustworthy and his promises are true mm. and that I can yes. trust him in the future uh, because His he, I have seen how his promises have been fulfilled in the past. Mm. Come on. Um, and so if God loved me that much, then I can trust him in his promises today, no matter what I'm going through. Mm. Well, I know you said you didn't feel like you had much to add, but I think you did. And that's a perfect segue because you have much more to add to our conversation. Okay. Yeah. So you guys have asked me to put together a little podcast to help research, you know, where does the idea of Advent come from and what is the meaning of Christmas? Christianese is a little podcast I've been doing for about seven years that that the purpose really is to try to help Christians dig deeper into their faith. And so I explore lots of different little areas where we can uh, think more deeply or maybe rethink our cultural ideas of Christianity according to scripture and history. And, and this for this episode that you're about to hear, I dug into the history of Christmas and mm-hmm. where it comes from and was really surprised by how we don't really know where it came from or who celebrated it first. But over time, it continued to grow and grow into something that we now see as one of the most important holidays in the Christian life. But when we dig into the history of Christmas and what it meant to people in the past, I think it gives us a good way to move forward with Christmas, to use it not only as something that uh, we celebrate, but also we can use to herald Christ and introduce others to him. Okay, I'm going to start this episode by asking you a seemingly simple question. Are you ready? I think you got this. In fact, I know you do. What is the meaning of Christmas? I know it sounds like a silly question, like something only people in Hallmark movies ask. And if you're a Christian, you probably knew the answer right off the top of your head. So when I picked this theme for this episode, I thought it was going to be easy. But as usual with Christianese, the rabbit hole always goes deeper than I expect. What I thought I was going to do was learn about how the early church celebrated Christmas and then trace those traditions throughout history into today. But that's not what we're doing, because what I learned about Christmas from church history turned my conception of the holiday on its head. And now... I want to share that gift with you. I'm Drew Fitzgerald, and this is Christianese. Welcome. We all know that Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. We know the story from Luke chapter 2 with the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. And we all grew up with December 25th being not just a day on the calendar, but the culmination of an entire season of celebration, the most wonderful time of the year. 
But Christmas is not just celebrated by Christians. Lots of people in our culture celebrate it too. While they may not see Jesus as the reason for the season, they still do all the Christmas stuff. Put up lights, a Christmas tree, do Santa Claus, sing the songs, and watch the movies. And so we, the church, feel like we're welcoming our culture into our holiday. So when Christmas changes or our culture tries to reinterpret things, we become defensive. We feel as though Christmas, our holiday, is being taken away from us. But the idea that Christmas belongs to Christians before it does the culture is a relatively new perspective, one that's not much older than your grandparents. For the majority of church history, Christmas has not been a popular holiday. In fact, some of the strongest opposition to celebrating Christmas has been from the church itself. Now, that might sound unusual, but the reason is because December 25th, or the winter solstice, is one of the most popular times for pagan festivals in the Northern Hemisphere. Just about every single culture the church went into had a pre-existing celebration around December 25th. And as you can imagine, church leadership wanted to stay far away from pagan celebrations rather than blending in with them. This included everything from large holidays to birthdays. The church father Origen wrote that in the scriptures only sinners celebrate their birthdays, never saints. So who started celebrating Jesus' birthday? That we don't know. We don't know when the first Christmas was celebrated, by whom, where, or really why. The first evidence that we have of Christians celebrating Christ's birth comes from what's called the Philocletian calendar written in 336 AD. And on it, December 25th is noted as the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, Judea. But why, if church leadership opposed birthdays, would Christ's birthday be noted? And why, when all of the evidence from scripture and history tells us that Jesus was probably born in the spring, were some Christians observing Christ's birthday on December 25th, the winter solstice. While we don't know for sure, it seems likely that the Christians who started celebrating Christ's birth were those who grew up celebrating birthdays, Roman Gentile Christians. It also seems likely that they began celebrating on December 25th because they had already grown up with a habit of celebrating the birth of the sun on that day. December 25th was a Roman holiday called Sol Invictus, the unconquerable sun. It was one of the primary holidays in Roman society. And leading up to that holiday was a three-week festival called Saturnalia, a festival that one Roman poet called the most wonderful time of the year, marked by gift-giving, feasting, and singing songs house to house. But Saturnalia was not tame. Seneca famously wrote that Saturnalia was a time when the Roman mob would give itself over to pleasure, and the Roman historian Pliny had to build himself a soundproof room just so he could continue reading and writing during Saturnalia. It's common to read in history books that the church started celebrating the Nativity, or the birth of Christ, as counter-programming to Saturnalia and Sol Invictus. But there's no evidence that celebrating Christ's birth was a top-down decision. If anything, it looks as though ordinary Christians were taking part in a cultural holiday, possibly to redeem it. That instead of celebrating the birth of the sun with the sun cult, they chose to celebrate the true unconquerable sun, Jesus Christ, and the light that he brings into the world on the darkest day of the year. 
Looking back, it's pretty easy to justify Christians celebrating the birth of Christ alongside a pagan holiday, but that is not at all how the early church saw this celebration. Church leaders both in Rome and throughout the Near East did not like the manner in which Christ's birth was celebrated. It wasn't reverent enough. It was too frivolous, too merry, and far too closely associated with the licentious practices of the pagan Saturnalia. But that didn't stop the celebration of Christ's birth. There's very little that we know about it for the next 300 years until the Council of Tours in 567, when church leadership officially puts the celebration of the birth of Christ on the church calendar. And this did two things. First of all, it gave the church's approval for the celebration of Christ's birth around the winter solstice. And second, it told every single Christian that celebrating Christ's birth at this time was a part of their regular habit of annual worship. And what's really important to note here is that the church leadership is not creating counter-programming for whatever pagan holiday is on the winter solstice. Instead, this implicitly encourages Christians to celebrate alongside winter solstice celebrations in whatever culture they may be in. And the church adds some things. There's the liturgy, and eventually in the 14th century, the church adds Advent, a time of reflection and fasting before Christmas. But from the 6th century throughout the Middle Ages, the Feast of the Nativity takes place in concert with cultural pagan winter solstice celebrations. And as a result, Christmas picks up a lot of the symbols and traditions of pagan winter celebrations. It often then repurposes them and points them back towards Christ. But the vast majority of our Christmas tradition comes from outside of the church. As we've already noted, Saturnalia gave us some of the traditions of Christmas. The caroling, the feasting, the gift-giving, eating pastries shaped like people, and even decorating our homes with garlands and wreaths. But the contributions of Saturnalia to Christmas can't hold a candle to Yule, the Germanic pagan winter solstice celebration. Over the 12 days of Yule, celebrants would hope to entice the sun to return by burning an entire tree. And it is at this time of year that the All-Father Odin would fly through the sky on his six-legged horse. It's from this holiday, which admittedly doesn't sound much like Christmas at all, that we get Christmas trees. The idea of Santa Claus and his 12 reindeer. Lighting candles in our windows. And not surprisingly, the Yule Log. While Germany contributed most of the symbols of Christmas, it's England that really defines the tenor. In the 19th century, under Queen Victoria, Christmas becomes a family celebration. Stories like A Christmas Carol defined what it meant to have the Christmas spirit. But these weren't Christian stories. Charles Dickens saw Christmas as the one thing opposing the cold market and the effects of industrialism on the English people. Giving to those in need, spending time with the people you love, and enjoying Christmas was a way of holding back the negative market forces. Christmas was less about Christ and more so about maintaining our humanity. If you took away everything that Saturnalia, Yule, and British society gave to the celebration of Christmas, there wouldn't be much left to us that looked, or maybe even felt, like Christmas. And it's hard to imagine that with those symbols, with the sense of family and charity and kindness and love, that the church would oppose Christmas celebrations. Well, 
us Protestants are full of surprises. Between the Reformation and about the middle of the 19th century, Christmas was very much a drunken party. Like just think of the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. It's kind of become a meme now because who wants 184 birds and a legion of performers to show up at their house? Nobody. But back in the day, you weren't keeping those birds, you were eating them. And the pipers piping and the drummers drumming, that's what was making the Lord sleep and the ladies dance. It was a party. And on the church side of things, all of the liturgy and the worship was very Catholic. So when the Protestants came around, they looked at Christmas and on the one hand saw a party full of sin and on the other hand saw the Pope's influence. So it's really not a surprise that Oliver Cromwell's Puritan Parliament outlawed Christmas for being too Catholic or that the Puritans in Boston outlawed Christmas for being too pagan. You could be fined five shillings just for walking through Boston with too cheerful an attitude around Christmas. And yeah, we can look back at the Puritans and say they were so terrible, but Protestants didn't accept Christmas after the Puritans left. Up until the Civil War, Baptists and Presbyterians did not celebrate Christmas at all. There's evidence that Presbyterians didn't start celebrating Christmas until they noticed their parishioners were leaving to celebrate Christmas at the Episcopalian Church down the street. And it took the Southern Baptist Convention until 2008 to sign a referendum saying it's okay to use the term Christmas in public conversation instead of calling the 25th the holiday or the winter solstice. Now I know that sounds crazy. It did to me too because I grew up going to my grandparents' Baptist church on Christmas Eve for their Christmas pageant. But just think about the historical record and how the church has approached Christmas. It is not something that we have brought to the culture. Rather, it is something that ordinary Christians bring into their spiritual habit. Everything from celebrating birthdays to bringing Christmas trees into their homes came from outside of the church. And those images, those symbols, were then reinterpreted through a Christian lens to make them point towards Christ. Now, why does all of this matter? Because by and large, we look at Christmas as our thing that the culture is trying to take away from us. When in reality, December 25th is and has been a cultural holiday that the church has entered into and reinterpreted. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. Quite the opposite. I think celebrating Christmas is absolutely what we should be doing, but our perspective of it probably does need to shift. We aren't welcoming people into our holiday. We're going to them with a new message for the holiday. If you grew up in the United States, you are probably to some degree disconnected from the culture of your family of origin. If you've got European background like I do, you're probably completely disconnected from your culture of origin. So when we bring those cultural symbols and the iconography of those cultures into our Christmas celebrations, we don't feel like they're from the far-flung pagan past. We feel like they're ours. And because our Christmas celebrations are completely detached from any form of native winter solstice, 
Our society looks at the Christmas tree, candles on the advent wreath, presents under the tree, and doesn't know why they're there. And to be fair, there's a lot of symbols that we don't know why they're there either. In the United States, we don't have a winter solstice. We simply have the holidays full of traditions and symbols that are divorced from their original meanings. So it's not surprising that a lot of people look at Christmas and say, what does it mean? And in our culture that in some ways revels in nihilism or in self-determination, the answer to that question is almost obviously there is no meaning of Christmas beyond the meaning that you give to it. And in many ways, it's a contradictory holiday that celebrates hope, joy, love, and peace in a society and in a time that seem to exhibit anything but. Christmas can bring out the best in our charitable giving, but it can also exhibit the absolute worst of our materialism. It's a holiday that can bring families together or highlight the fact that our families aren't together. It can be the most wonderful time of the year or the most depressing time of the year. So I'm going to ask the question I asked at the beginning of this podcast again. What is the meaning of Christmas? It's not a new question. Charlie Brown asked it in the 1960s. Charles Dickens asked it in the 1860s. And the church has been trying to answer it since the 560s. But how should we answer that question? The purpose of Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Christ. But what does it mean for the world? What does his birth mean on the darkest day of the year? What does his birth mean in a dark and chaotic time? While the birth of Christ is the fulfillment of many, many prophecies, it is not the culmination of God's redemptive work. It is simply that foretaste, that sign that God is going to fulfill his promises. And then over the life of Christ, he lives the life we couldn't live. Then he dies the death that we all deserve and was resurrected so that we might live alongside of him. Christmas is just the beginning. And what it means is that people can have hope. Not wishful thinking, but true hope that won't fail. It means that people can have joy even in the darkest circumstances. It means that we are loved by God and should therefore love one another in the same way that God has loved us. And it is a clarion call for peace. Not that there's peace on earth today, but to quote my favorite Christmas song, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth and goodwill towards men. I believe our role in Christmas is not to build walls to protect ourselves from the culture, but to play the same role that Christians have always played in winter solstice holidays to enter into those celebrations in hopes of redeeming them or pointing people towards Jesus. We play the same role that the angels played in Luke chapter 2. We go to those who have not known Christ and say, we bring you good news and tidings of great joy for all people. The history of Christmas is not what I thought it would be. But if anything, that's made me rethink the way that I celebrate it. I'm not getting rid of my Christmas tree or my garlands 
or the parties that I have with friends or the ugly Christmas sweater that I wear. I'm just seeing it all in kind of a new light, that all of these are symbols that point back to Jesus. And the best thing that I can do is to follow the habit of Christmas in proclaiming the coming King. Christmas should be big, it should be joyous, it should be bright, it should be fun, because it all celebrates the King who has come to us. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas, and I'll see you in the new year with more episodes of Christianese. Merry Christmas. Christmas is a season uh, that's full of so much goodness and joy and celebration, lots of good food and Christmas lights and hot cocoa and experiences and gift exchanges. But one thing that I find to be interesting about Christmas is how easy it is for us to miss the reason for the season in the first place. Um, And so as you are listening to this episode, as you've listened to Drew just kind of share some of the history behind Christianity, I want you to remember that we're here to celebrate the faithfulness of a God who at the beginning of time designed us to have life with him, that we messed it up with sin. And throughout scripture, we turn the pages that God makes promises that he's going to be faithful to save his people. And we get to celebrate with Christmas that our faithful God came through, Hmm. Um, that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overwhelm it, that Jesus brings life and that all we need and all we desire is found in him. And that we only get to, we don't just get to celebrate that, We get to proclaim that Mm. uh, as we wait for the second advent, as we wait for our faithful God to return. So here at Culture Matters, we want to wish you a merry, merry Christmas. As 2023 comes to an end, we want to thank all of you listeners for continually following the show. Y'all feedback and support is so appreciated. And we would still love to hear from you. So you can send us a message on Instagram anytime. And we'll be back in the new year with more episodes. 